Hi, I'm Tess Vigland, and as we work, we're graduating from college with new expectations for that first big job. Given kind of the past two years, I think a lot of people realize that work-life balance is really important. We each have our own core set of values. We know things that we would not like to work at. We know places that we would. I don't really want to be like stuck in a job where I'm unhappy. I would love to be in a job that makes me happy and also makes me money because <laughs> adulting is very expensive. <laughs> this is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. We just heard from Sonia Marinovich, Eugene Thomas, and Kirsten Staple, all graduating from college this spring. Brava and carpe diem to them and the entire class of 2022. Now get to work. This season, we're looking at the arc of a career from that first job to retirement and all the moments in between. Today, we'll hear from some of those newly minted members of the workforce about what they want from a job and how to translate what they've learned in school into the real world. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Ladies and gentlemen, students, parents, distinguished guests... On this auspicious day, as you go forth from these hallowed halls of learning, allow me to remind you that in the estimable words of the poet formerly known as Prince, life is just a party and parties weren't meant to last. Okay, so I won't be invited to be the graduation speaker anytime soon. But a hearty congratulations to those flinging mortarboards into the air this spring. You're graduating into a weird economy. High inflation, slumping stocks, but a hot job market that's put many new grads in pretty good shape. A survey of seniors from the Chicago recruiting firm LaSalle Network found that 20% had a job locked down as of March. But about half the seniors had gotten at least one offer and were weighing their options. Just what are they weighing? Well, Lindsay Ellis from our Life and Work team has been talking with some of this year's graduating class, and she joins us now. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are these students going about their searches and decisions, and and what's that like for them? You know, it's been eye-opening for a lot of them, that's for sure. Sonia Marinovich, she's graduating from the State University of New York with a degree in environmental health. She started her job search way back in the fall, and in retrospect, she says it was a little too early. One thing she said that she learned was, was just to be patient, and, and here's one thing that she told me. I learned that you get ghosted a lot, <laughs> and to just kind of take the punches and just keep going. Oh, Lindsay, ghosting, really? <laughs> this has made it from the dating scene to the job scene. <laughs> oh my gosh, the amount of times I've heard about ghosting and just months-long delays in responses. I was looking at my own email habits and being like, okay, I got to I got to step up my own game. <laughs> yep, yep. So another student who I talked to, Austin Bulls, he was looking for work as an electrician for theaters. They took so long, you know, if ever, to get back to him. 
honestly, after I turned off the recorder, we were still chatting and he got an email from a company he applied to months ago with finally the rejection. Hmm. Um, I also talked to Kirsten Staple. She's graduating from the University of Texas at San Antonio, majoring in psychology, double minoring in marketing and community health. She doesn't have a full-time position yet. Um, She's also used LinkedIn and Indeed. And she says she's fallen into a common trap. I read a stat somewhere where it's like women are less likely to apply for jobs when they don't meet like all the requirements. And I'm definitely like in that position. (laughs) I try not to apply for jobs where I'm like, I don't reach all the requirements. Like, what's the point of me trying if they're not even going to take me because I'm not meeting all the stuff yet? Oh, I can relate to that one. But you got to go for it, right? (laughs) Definitely. And she ended up taking a temporary placement through a program called Students and Startups. She'll be working with a public broadcasting station in Texas and is going to be doing some marketing for them. Well, good for her. I come from public radio, so I endorse this. Um, Anybody coming out of graduation with a full-time job? Yes. So Austin Bulls, who I mentioned, he got a job that will last a year at a theater in New England. And he was excited about that after graduating from Coastal Carolina University. And I met someone named Eugene Thomas, and he's graduating from Yale with a degree in mechanical engineering. Wow. He's got what he feels is a great opportunity with a company he's already pretty familiar with. Through the National Society for Black Engineers Conference, NSBE, I ended up landing um, an internship last summer with John Deere doing product engineering on engines. And then through that remote internship, I was very grateful and lucky to, in like, I think very early September, receive a return offer. I accepted the same day um, because I had really enjoyed my work there, and it's a two-year rotational program. That's great. You always like to see uh, internships come to to full-time fruition there. Uh, so, so Lindsay, as they're figuring out kind of what they want to do with their careers, finding their way through the job search, what are they saying they want from employers? I think most of us would assume money is the driving factor, but at, at least for some of these students, that is not the case. Money is a big factor, but there are other pieces of this as well. So Kirsten Staple is hoping that if her experience in marketing at the radio station goes well, maybe she'll get to stay on there. But she's going to be looking for some specific things in terms of whether she'd want to stay on a more permanent basis. Mm, probably somewhere that has really good like work-life balance. I don't want to work somewhere that's like... You take your work home with you and you're like really stressed out at the end of the day or there's like like a really healthy workplace like there's like no drama in the workplace kind of thing or very minimal that's away from everybody else you know obviously benefits you know healthcare, (laughs) dental vision (laughs) that as well and also pay so so a blend there of some pretty traditional asks and then uh, a desire for a really concrete sense of that balance Exactly. And I want to go back to Eugene Thomas for a second because he's already got this job lined up. He's moving to Waterloo, Iowa, because he was impressed not just with the job itself, but what with what John Deere offered in terms of supporting him as a person. He talked to me about how the company accommodated him when his mother ended up in the hospital over the course of his internship last year. And I think in that moment, I knew not only did I enjoy the work I was doing, but I enjoyed the work-life balance that they had set up. 
Um, also when I, I got to visit on site, which was a great opportunity, um, for a week and I got to see like the floor and everyone was just super nice. Like it's just the basic thing. Like everyone was super nice and it was a good experience to be there for a week as well. I knew that that was going to be the place for me going forward. Was that as much of a priority to you when you started college? No. And that was probably a product of the pandemic. I think I was very like for, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right word. But I would, and I still am guilty of this, like overload myself and be like, not have that work-life balance set. That was something that I very much grew into in college and I'm still trying to reach. So clearly he's hoping for that in the job he got with with John Deere. Right. So so work-life balance is coming up a lot in talking with these grads. I don't ever remember uttering that phrase for probably the first 10 years after I graduated. Um, but, but one other thing I think we've heard a lot from this generation is the desire to work in a place that reflects their own personal values. How is that manifesting with these students? Yeah, definitely part of what they're looking for from an employer. So Neha Sheikh is what's called a super senior. She's in her fifth year to complete two degrees at the University of Texas at Austin, one in psychology and another in youth and community studies. She got into psychology because she saw a lack of it available to the Muslim community, which she's a part of. Mm. And she had a specific list that she's looking for in a future employer. Top three factors for me would be the structure of management in terms of the treatment of employees, the treatment and communication between employee and client. Second factor for me would be representation. I don't see myself being super comfortable working in an environment where I am the only person of color. And third would be like awareness. So for the company to have morals and values that are inclusive and align with my moral values. Lindsay, anybody talk about, you know, money? Yes, that was that was a major factor, especially coming out of school, you know, with student loans into right. an environment, you know, where inflation is is high. Yeah. What I hear from students and what I hear from campus career advisors is that the pay question is such a priority, especially after the last few years. That stability yeah. is really, really important to this year's seniors because they've seen such a tumultuous stretch during the pandemic. Um, when I asked Sonia Marinovich, she's the one who studied environmental health, mm-hmm. I-, I asked what makes a company a good place to work and what her major factors were, and she got right down to brass tacks, and it, with one caveat. I mean, I think the biggest factor for me would just, especially with the first job out of college, I think is just salary, if I'm being completely honest. But also, given kind of the past two years, I think a lot of people realize that work-life balance is really important. And again, that feeds into the whole remote job thing. Like, I love the fact that I don't have to commute every day in traffic to an office. I can kind of make my own schedule a little bit more that way. Um, So definitely just compensation and just the work-life balance elements were my two big things. Um, And then company culture too. 
And so when she was talking about money and salary, she mentioned that she was well aware of the steep cost of living um, in a lot of places around the country. And she said she'd want to be able to afford a living situation where, you know, if we all ended up having to work remotely again, she could do so comfortably from her home. Oh, I stand that. (laughs) Don't we all at at this (laughs) point? Um, And and Austin Bulls was another person who mentioned money right off the bat. I mean, he's he's the one who's going to be an electrician for a theater up in Vermont. Well, I'll just be honest, it has to be pay. Um, coming out of college, I have a lot of debt, and I know that debt forgiveness are the probably isn't coming around anytime soon. So I got to be prepared for loan repayments here soon. And so making sure that I could afford to make it through each day, each month was uh, the number one thing for me. Did he mention work-life balance? You know, he did. And it's actually part of why he decided to take a full-time gig instead of doing what some other people in his shoes might do, which would be finding a a touring theater company. He's got a girlfriend, they've got a cat, and (laughs) said he doesn't want to be bopping around the U.S. and finding something semi-permanent in New England in one spot sounded, sounded pretty good. Bopping around the United States. Okay. All right. Well, Lindsay Ellis, this has been um, very eye-opening. Thank you so much for sharing your interviews with these uh, with these new graduates and best of luck to all of them. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk through it. They seem really excited about these next steps and I think workplaces should should get ready to bring them on. So those students seem to have a good sense of where they're heading, but what about those who are still unsure? Up next, we'll talk with the head of career services at one of the biggest universities in the country, Michigan State, about the questions his office has been fielding. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Lots of people are looking for new jobs right now. But there's one thing new grads have access to that a lot of us don't. Experts on campus who are actually invested in helping them find work. It's called the Campus Career Services Center. It's free. Probably the last time you'll get something for free for a very, very long time. Jeff Beavers heads up career services at Michigan State University. With about 50,000 students on campus, it's one of the largest universities in America. 9,600 are graduating this spring. And just like Lindsay Ellis, Jeff has also heard from some of them about how much they want to feel a sense of belonging and balance in their new jobs. But as we know, you don't always get what you want. Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you very much. Glad to be here. What do you tell students if they can't or don't find a job that ticks off what, what is really quite a long list of demands? When they don't find the opportunity, we continue to encourage them to explore the possibilities beyond what may be easily presented to them. But in some cases, we really have to encourage the students or we have to uh, 
um, incentivize them or inspire them to think beyond what is convenient and really tap into what is your mission? What is it you want to accomplish? How is it that you want to leverage your, your degree and your passion? And then let's look much more broadly than the employers who are maybe part of our employer partnership but who also uh, could offer the type of opportunity that excites you and that will give you the type of rewards and the return on investment you're seeking. Do you have any examples uh, where you were able to help a student kind of adjust their expectations and, and what that looked and sounded like? <laughs> Every day, as a matter of fact, 72% of our students change majors while they are a student at Michigan State. And I don't think that's necessarily unusual uh, for us. I think it's true of most institutions. But what that means is that students really have to think about parallel planning and that major does not equal career. So we spend a lot of time thinking about how a skill set may transfer or translate into value for another area, industry or sector. So uh, I'll use Patrick. Um, Patrick is a, a student here as part of the Greek system. He is a junior in marketing. And Patrick also has a passion for sports. What we did is we really probed to ask him about his interest and his passions and tried to understand what type of outcome is it that would really excite him upon graduation. And we actually uh, had a contact uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that led to another contact with uh, Alliance Sports Marketing. And uh, he's uh, in the interview process right now for, uh, I think, three locations and uh, is pursuing that with a lot of enthusiasm. All right. Well, good luck to Patrick from all of us. What are some of the questions you're fielding from students as they head out into the working world? Now students are getting volumes of opportunity that almost is to the point where it can be overwhelming. Uh, as an example, generally we get about 100,000 job postings annually for our 50,000 students. Uh, this year, in the first nine months, uh, we are at a record in terms of uh, our total volume of postings for jobs and internships both. We're at 157,000. So when you start to think about the student's question then, how do I find something among 157,000 jobs that fits me? Our advice is begin to look at the jobs and opportunities, click on things that are of interest, read different descriptions, and you're going to find that the system is actually going to work for you. And then use search agents to also be notified so you don't have to log in uh, every single day and review the new postings. Instead, uh, get those that are relevant delivered directly to you. So set up the filters so that you are seeing the information that really is of interest. What about questions about just entering the workforce itself, like adulting, as, as the kids say, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You know, a lot of students are entering this in a time when they have lacked a little bit of mentoring and guidance from upperclassmen. So when you think about the last two years, really haven't afforded the opportunities to be on campus, be in classes, be in student organizations, Greek houses, and so forth with uh, those who are able to do some of that mentoring and coaching, even for like internships. And, you know, we think about um, even how you dress when you are approaching an employer on campus. Yeah. Traditionally, when you were on campus uh, pre-pandemic, you saw people in suits and ties headed to a career fair and you started to understand what the expectation was. 
But with the virtual approach that we've taken, many students are even confused what is appropriate dress, not only for recruitment, but also for when I go to the job and how much do I have to invest in a new wardrobe and you know, how do I potentially ask for flexibility and how do I ask for information regarding those DEIB interests that I have as a, a new employee and wanting to get involved and be part of the community. Some call it that uh, backpack to briefcase. I don't know if briefcase is quite the right <laughs> term, um, but it really is making that transition to uh, you probably are not going to continue to carry your backpack. Clearly, technology has changed the game for college students looking for jobs, right? I mean, you have those huge job boards that you already mentioned, these huge alumni networks. But are there ways in which kind of that same technology can actually put young job seekers at a disadvantage? Is technology causing them not to learn things, things as basic as networking? You're exactly right. And I'm glad you asked about that question because we often think about uh, recruitment tied to technical and functional recruiting. Right. Uh, but the reality is that there is some development that happens in group projects and extracurricular activities. How do you tell a story in a compelling way? How do you convince other people to buy in, to get excited uh, so that uh, you can demonstrate in your work that although you are maybe not the eldest member on the team or the most senior person in the room, but that if you have a great idea, you're able to influence others to buy into it. Similarly, uh, when we think about teamwork, um, how do you ensure inclusiveness uh, when you think about a team and that your role is not only about contributing to the team and your skill set, but it's about how do you ensure that others who also have skills are being fully leveraged and that they're being included in ultimately the outcome for that particular project? All right, Jeff, let's end with some very practical advice for folks who just graduated. They're looking for that first job. What is the one thing you wish every student knew? Yeah, so I think what really resonates is even my own experience. I came from a small town uh, community, less than 800 people, 32 people in my high school class. I was first generation, low income, ended up being also a transfer student to a major university, changed majors three times. I came out as an education major, and I thought that that's probably where I was going to have to stay and that my major was going to equal my career. But then quickly I discovered how I was also creating a skill set that was transferable to many other areas. So I went from education to HR just by being involved in uh, recruitment for a major organization and being part of the volunteer recruitment team that was doing college recruiting. And I think that's where students have to continue to think about how will I continue to differentiate in a way that helps me either advance more quickly or make a transition? Or uh, I think one of the other ones is just to uh, have a broader set of opportunities available to me because of having such a strong and broad skill set. Jeff Beavers, thank you so much for your help today. Thank you. Okay, so you graduated, you got the job, but that's not the last hurdle. Things are going to be a little different, especially when it comes to how you use technology. We've got some tips for those still learning, you know, adulting, and the rest of us too. BRB. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. NetSuite by Oracle brings accounting, finance, inventory, and HR into one proven platform, 
helping you reduce costs everywhere. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. So head to netsuite.com slash wallstreet right now. And finally today, our pro tip. WSJ's personal tech columnist, Nicole Nguyen, is here to talk us through avoiding some of the tech pitfalls that new grads might run into in their first work experience, and even some of us more experienced workers too. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So clearly, uh, email, Zoom, maybe even Slack, new graduates probably have some experience with these tools, but uh, they do not have experience with them in a workplace, which I think you and I would agree is a very different beast. Yes, your professor isn't in charge of your paycheck. So <laughs> it's a little bit more consequential than at school. All right. So even though some offices are back in person, um, some grads will end up still being in a remote work situation, uh, remote-ish, as you've called it. Um, let's talk first about some of the very basic ways to make a good first impression on a new boss when, when you're not right in front of them. If you are working in a remote-ish workplace, it's very important to ask your manager on day one, what is your preferred mode of communication? Because every boss will have their own preference. Is it Slack? Mm. Is it email? Is it picking up the phone and and calling them? Um, And I think the the only hard and fast rule I will say is to not text your boss until they text you first. Just because it's a personal phone? It's a personal phone. And so it feels like a text is very urgent and needs to be attended to right away. So ask them for their preference before you go about messaging them. What about remote meetings? You've got all these different ways that a company might use these tools, Google Meet, Zoom, etc. Maybe a new grad has been on these for class. But what should they be thinking about for, say, appearing on camera on the job? turn your camera on by default if if you're just starting out um, in your career. And, and that's because it's much easier for people to empathize with you and build a relationship with you if they can see your face and they can put a face to a name. When joining um, a video call, a little height on your webcam and a little light on your face goes a long way. You know, elevating your laptop on some books if you don't have a nice third-party webcam can do the trick. Sitting by a window or turning on a lamp can do the same thing. Uh, the way that you present yourself on screen will really go a long way if, if you put in some effort. All right. Well, obviously, all of us have been on email for years now, but I wonder if there's anything to know on that front as well. Uh, this is a generation that's been on email practically since birth. So is, is that a pretty easy one? Yeah, I think that these new grads are pretty much pros at emails, but I'll offer two tips anyway that um, a lot of people don't know about. I, I think in the remote era, there's a lot more asynchronous work. You're working with colleagues in different time zones, or you're working later, not in the typical nine to five schedule. And if that's the case, then schedule send can be really helpful. And this is available in both mm. Gmail and Outlook. And this makes sure that your message is in the top of their inbox in the morning when they're actually at their desk or another time when when you know that they're available. Um, Another must, 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 must run, don't walk to enabling undo send in both Gmail and Outlook. (laughs) I cannot recommend this enough. 
you'll spell someone's name wrong, there'll be a typo, you won't attach the thing that you meant to attach. It's the best feature that's ever been invented. Nicole Nguyen, thanks so much. Thanks. We have all sent that email we wish we hadn't, maybe even made a bigger mistake at work. Well, next week, we continue our journey through the arc of a career by talking about all those times we fall on our face and think we're finished for good. But then like a phoenix rising from the ashes, we rebound and move on to better things. Yes, failure. There is no progress without it. We'll talk with the author of the best-selling novel Pachinko, Min Jin Lee. It's now an Apple TV series. Failure and shame are big parts of her novels and her life story. She tells how she's learned from both, even though it's, uh, it's really tough. Before we go, we asked you for your best piece of career advice, and you responded. Here's one from Julia Allen of Binghamton, New York. Some of the best career advice I've received is from the book, The Monk and the Riddle. Try to avoid what many people do, which is fall into a career for multiple decades that they're not super excited about. We'll be sharing more of your advice throughout this season, so keep those gems coming. Email us at aswework at wsj.com and let us know, or leave us a voicemail at 212-416-2394. Any messages you leave may be used in the podcast. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Scott Salloway is a steady sea captain and our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.